Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, Here's this week's podcast. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Good to see you. I hope you've had a good weekend. I'm praising the Lord for the low humidity and the sunshine. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. It looks like it's going to be a great day. I hope that you will get out and enjoy it with your family. A uh, couple of thank yous before we get to our message this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn uh, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Luke, chapter 13. Uh, thank you, Jeff and Teresa, the rest of the worship team for leading us this morning, and Liz as well uh, for sharing her testimony. Got a letter I want to share with you from uh, the Little Sparrows Ministry in West Virginia. Dear Crossroads Church, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hope the church is doing well and your family is highly blessed and favored, and we are. We at Little Sparrows Ministry want to thank you and the church for the food drive and all of the donations. We also would like to thank Pastor Jim for coordinating the drive. The donations are going to help all these families in McDowell County, West Virginia, for another month. Thank you and God bless you and keep you until we meet again. Linda Moon. Little Sparrows Ministry Executive Director. So I wanted to share that with you uh, so that you know all that food that was stacked at the back here of the worship area a few weeks back made its way to West Virginia and has been distributed to families. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you did there. Also, speaking of food, dare I bring this up because you'll get distracted and start thinking about lunch. But a couple weeks ago we had a barbecue fundraiser. And I also want to say thank you to our church family because we made several uh, hundred dollars for a mission. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that, you've, all that you've been doing. All right, Luke chapter 13. You know that we've been going through some parables. And this week is our last parable in our series. Next week, we will start uh, for the summer weeks going through the book of James. I'm so excited about it. Very practical book of the Bible that can help us get through life, and that's, that will start next week. But today, Luke chapter 13, we're going to pick up at verse, verse 6. But before we start at verse 6, Jesus has been talking to the disciples, and they have been having an interesting discussion before we get to verse 6. And basically, if you want to read those verses, it's just a few. They've been basically trying to decide who's the worst sinner. So we've got a survey this morning. If you want to pull out your phone, we're going to ask you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I would win. I would win. But they're basically asking, who's the worst sinner? And then they get into this parable. Jesus says to them this. Verse 6, A certain man had a fig tree, which he planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it, and he did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, the vineyard keeper, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in some fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Cut it down. It's 
interesting parable. Uh, I love the Bible talks a lot about fig trees. Fig trees are mentioned a lot in Scripture, and fig trees are important. You may remember that the fig tree was first mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. It was the leaves of the fig tree that Adam and Eve used to hide their nakedness after they sinned against the Lord, and they realized that they didn't have any clothes on. They used the fig leaf tree, the, the leaves of the fig tree to uh, cover them. Uh, later in this chapter, if you want to uh, be a, a high achiever, you can read the rest of Luke when you get home today. You'll find out in Luke chapter 21, Jesus brings up uh, fig trees again, and he talks about the fact that when you see leaves showing on the fig tree, that means the kingdom of God is near. So there are a lot of things that Jesus says in the Bible, and he uses a fig tree because the fig tree was all over that part of the world. We don't see a lot of fig trees in Greer, South Carolina, or Simpsonville, wherever you live, but they were all over. So Jesus uses something right there that people could look at to make an illustration and he starts this discussion, and he mentions a certain man had a fig tree. So let's see, what is Jesus trying to say? And I'll tell you, I think he's trying to say, just real quick in summary, two things. One thing, he's talking about the people of Israel, and we'll talk about that as we go through this, but he's also talking about looking, I believe, through the ages down into history, and he's talking about the church of today as well. And we're going to talk about that as we look at this scripture. So I just had basically three questions this morning to get us started. And here's the first one. Who owns this tree? Because he's talking about a fig tree. So who owns this tree? Verse 6 says a certain man had a fig tree. A certain man had a fig tree. There are actually two men mentioned in this parable. The first man is the owner of the vineyard. And it says that he planted the tree in his Vineyard. So there's two different men that are being described in this passage. The first one is the owner, the person who planted the fig tree. And the second person, it says, Jesus says in verse 7, who kind of walks into the conversation, is the vineyard keeper, probably an employee of the owner in charge of doing the actual work. So let's think about what's going on here. When the owner says to the vineyard keeper... Where is the fruit of this tree? I've been coming here looking for fruit. There's no fruit. Chop it down. That's a pretty drastic measure, isn't it? To cut down the tree is a drastic thing. But it's well within the rights of the owner. It's his vineyard. It's his tree. He could do with it as he pleased. Think about it this way. Let's suppose that you decided you wanted to paint your house. And you painted your house this nice, beautiful Chartreuse. I don't even know what color that is. Anybody know what color that is? Some of you are going, no way would that happen. All right, mauve. Okay, brown. You painted your house this nice color. Pick your color. And your neighbor comes over and knocks on your door and says, wow, I really, I'm really glad that you cleaned up the place and you painted it, but the color I would like you to paint your house is a red. So could you please paint your house red? You probably would tell your neighbor, take a hike, or you probably would go talk to your HOA president and say, we have a problem, because my neighbor's trying to tell me what to do to my house. I don't know if you live in one of those neighborhoods where that happens. Uh, some of us do from time to time. But that would be crazy for your neighbor to tell you what color to paint your house, because after all, it's your house. 
Here's what I think Jesus is saying in this passage. The first thing he's saying to us when we think about who owns the tree is, the right of ownership carries the right of determination. Let that sink in for a second. The right of ownership determines the right of determination. There is a worldview going around, in case you haven't noticed it, that tells us, and our young people and our kids are growing up with this being taught to them, that you own yourself, you get to do with your body what you want, you get to pick who you want to be. All that is totally contrary to what God's Word teaches. The owner gets to decide the right of determination. And if you and I are a child of God, God is the owner. God can do with us, as Teresa sung, whatever He wants to do, it is His will be done if we belong to Him. Where we get into an argument or frustration in our walk with Jesus is when He chooses to do things that we may or may not like. But you know what? That's His prerogative because He's the owner. He's the one who planted the tree. Likewise, God owns the world. He owns everything in it. Psalm 24.1 tells us, So it's simply not right, as much as I do it myself, to object to the way God deals with me sometimes, or maybe even to say, this is my right to God. It's really not my right, because He owns us all. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 9, Who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? And yet we live in a day and age, as most of us know, you don't have to look too far with social media and mainstream media and even in our culture, where people have long forgotten that we are God's creation. We think sometimes we're autonomous because we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. That we get to determine, because we're Americans, how God deals with us. Let's not let our love and patriotism for our country and where we, most of us, have been born confuse our mind when it comes to spiritual things. Because the two are totally different. We are, if we have been planted by God and we are in His vineyard, we are in His possession. And we see this misconception about who really owns a tree in life all the time, not just with our identity and with our body, but even things like giving. Well, the money that I earn belongs to me. It doesn't belong to God. Everything you and I have, if we have been planted in His vineyard and He is the owner, we're in His vineyard. It doesn't belong to us. We're in His vineyard. It all belongs to Him. Last week, we talked about where God might be leading us as a congregation. We haven't decided. We haven't voted. We're just dreaming. We're just praying. And I'm so happy that all of us here said we wanted to be a piece of God's puzzle because it's His puzzle. We're just a piece. And He will be challenging us and challenging me in the weeks and the months ahead to do some sacrificial things when it comes to money. And for some of us, it may be a little bit painful. It may be painful for me to do those things until I realize... He owns it all. doesn't belong to me. It's His vineyard. I'm just a steward of it. I just happen to be planted here. He is the owner. Paul says it this way too in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own. God has a right to tell us 
what he expects and the right to expect it. And we're going to see in this parable also the right to deal with us as he pleases if we don't do what he expects. Depending on the day or the week, I might not like that too much. But it doesn't negate what God's word says because God's word is true. And God has expectations for us. And we're going to learn from this parable that God expects you and me to produce fruit in our lives. So I I just want us to remember that that expectation of God to expect things from us, His people, is His right. And He should expect us to do things. It's well within the realm of what is right because we belong to Him, if we belong to Him. So who owns the tree is a great question. Here's another question I I wrote down. Where was the tree planted? Because verse 6 says it this way, the certain man had a fig tree which he planted in his vineyard. So it was planted in his vineyard. This fig tree enjoyed some great advantages that not all fig trees enjoyed. This fig tree was in his vineyard. It probably had special fertilized soil. It probably got special fertilized attention. It was not one of the fig trees that was out on the rocky terrain that was maybe ignored, maybe trampled underfoot on some footpaths. This was a tree that was specifically planted in the vineyard. Those other trees, they had no one to care for them. They had no vineyard keeper. They had no fertilizer. They had no one caring and being concerned about them. They probably were not planted in the greatest soil. I was talking to somebody this this morning. I'm a little jealous of the she shed. Not going to call out any names or anything, but I got to get to work on my gardening skills. I'm just telling you, I've learned one thing about gardening, and that is very little grows in red clay mud. I have learned that. I have learned that. But this fig tree that was planted in the vineyard was getting all special attention. Maybe even was being talked to by the vineyard. I don't know if anybody talks to their plants or their crops or encourages them. But this tree was an important tree. It was different. It was purposely planted in a vineyard. And what Jesus is saying here, don't forget who he's talking to, the disciples, the people of Israel, he's communicating this probably in their minds, they're thinking about their nation much like we are this weekend, a Memorial Day weekend. And Jesus is reminding them as a nation, as Israel, and I would say the same is true of us as the United States of America, not as much as Israel, by the way. Israel, the favored nation, he's reminding them that they are purposefully planted. I have a question that I wrote down. You know I write down questions. Are you purposely planted? I know you're planted. Hopefully you're planted in the rich soil of salvation that the first fruit that you and I should have, if we know Jesus, is the fruit of salvation. That's the first fruit. If you don't have that fruit, hang on with me. But are you purposely, purposefully planted? Are you planted? All of us are planted at this point in history at Crossroads Baptist Church. But have you found your purpose? Because we all have a purpose. Folks, there are so many things happening in our church family, and I'm grateful, and there are so many people that are involved, but it's no different. We're a great church. I love our church. But we're no different than most churches in that 20% of the people tend to do 80% of the work. Ours is maybe about 50-50. 
Are you purposely planted? There are some things that we need to do as a church family where God has uniquely gifted you, perhaps, to give you purpose to do whatever that thing is. And this tree was purposely planted. God, when it comes to Israel, had put his chosen people in a favored position. Think about it. He had lavished special care on them. Doesn't it seem obvious to you and to me that he would expect a return on his investment? You know, there's other parables where Jesus tells a story about the man who was given some talents and he went out and some returned 30-fold and some 60-fold and one man planted his talent in the ground and didn't do anything with it. There are many parables Jesus shares with the intent of teaching and telling us he has an expectation for us. He has things for us to do. If you're alive and breathing, he has things for us to do. He has a plan for us. He has something for us to partner with him as the creator of the world to reach people. And yet when you think about Israel, with all the blessings that they had, the chosen people turned away from him. And ultimately, when he didn't find the fruit, what happens? Verse 9 says, if not, cut it down. We know history, hopefully you know history, that Israel was eventually destroyed. Because God had a job for them to do. He sent the Messiah. And they rejected the Messiah. What about us? What about us here in the United States of America? Hasn't God blessed us and lavished on us even more favor? You think about all the other countries. Dominican Republic. Malawi, Africa. I just heard from our missionary in Malawi uh, a week or a half or so ago. That when they were uh, planting a church just across the border in Mozambique. ISIS came in and basically machine gun down the pastor, his wife, family, and some of those people. And you and I wonder and worried about the cushion is not soft enough that we sit in or maybe the temperature is not right. Folks, we're blessed, tremendously blessed. The Word of God, we have access to the Word of God like nobody on the face of the planet. You can get it on your iPod, your phone. Technologically, you can get it this way. You can get it on the web. You can listen on the radio. You can get it in a book. You can get the Word of God everywhere. It's been lavished upon us. Because of how good God is in His abundance. It's all around us. Wouldn't it make sense then, with us being in such a privileged place, for God to expect us to be producing fruit? I think about that scripture, to whom much is given, much is required. What are we going to do with what God has entrusted to us? We have been purposely planted in a place to produce fruit. There's a lot of fruit that we can have. The Bible, this parable doesn't go into all the fruit that can come out of somebody's life. But as I was thinking about some of the fruit that could come, that first fruit of salvation is the fruit we all should have. But beyond that, it should be the fruit of seeing other people come to Christ. Multiplying ourselves. Realizing that God has put us here to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus to everybody that we can. I was reading some statistics of churches around the world and reading what some churches have done. And again, this is not in the flesh that we do these things. We do these things under the power of the Holy Spirit and God is our guide. But there are many churches, let's just stick with the state of South Carolina for a second. Let's just stick with the South Carolina Baptist Convention for just a minute. There are many churches in our convention of which we are a part as a Baptist church who have been around for hundreds of years, who have hundreds of people in their congregation, and have never seen one person come to Jesus. 
Folks, that's called no fruit. It tells me and reminds me that a lot of congregations, this is an exception, I pray, are gathered together thinking this is all about them, not understanding Jesus expects us to produce fruit. You may say, well, Pastor Jack, I'm not a preacher. I know you're not. Sometimes I don't think I am. We all have different gifts. We all have different spheres of influence. We all have the ability, if we are purposely planted, to share the gospel and to reach people. When I read of churches that have been in existence for that long, and I think it took that many people to gather together and to give God knows how much kind of money to keep things going, and maybe one person come to Christ, what are we doing? Because I believe, call me naive if you want, that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is any day, any moment. It wouldn't surprise me if it happened before the end of this service. It would not surprise me. So what are we doing? Jesus is saying to these people, look, fruit. Where is the fruit? Doesn't it follow that when the owner of the vineyard invests so much in you and me, that the expectation should be there's some fruit? Which gives us the third and final question that came to my mind, and that's this. What was the tree's job in the first place? Well, obviously. Jesus tells us in verse 6, He came looking for fruit, but he did not find any. The expectation of the owner in the vineyard was to find fruit. The fig tree in this parable, by the way, had leaves. A fig tree cannot survive without leaves, and leaves are good, but it had no fruit. After three years. That's what Jesus says. He says the certain man, the, the owner of the vineyard, came to the vineyard keeper and said, Hey, I've been coming here for three years looking for some fruit, and there's no fruit on this fig tree. Cut that thing down. It's taken up soil. It's taken up my fertilizer. It's taken up the water from the heavens. It's taken up space. It's, if it's not going to produce fruit, cut that thing down. That's kind of drastic, but that's what... That's what the vineyard owner said. When I was thinking about this and reading this patches again, Jesus could be referring, some people think, and probably was to some degree, about the nation of Israel, who, by the way, was very religious. Very religious. They had a lot of leaves on their fig tree. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more religious nation anywhere in the world than the nation of Israel at the time of Christ. They were very, very religious. Religion was actually at the heart of their national life. It was kind of cool to go to church. Kind of like in the South. Used to be. It's kind of moved away from that a little bit in the last few decades. Attendance at the temple services in Jerusalem was actually expected, if not in some places, maybe even required for them to be there. Religion was a big deal. People regularly died for their nation and their religion. Yet, as this parable tells us, and Jesus is saying, they had no fruit, so they were cut down. One of the questions that I wrote down here, Jack, do you know the difference between leaves and fruit? Because it's so easy, especially in the buckle of the Bible Belt in the South, especially in church ministry, and I've said this to you as a church family before, especially as one of the pastors, to have all the external looks of doing everything spiritual and have on all the leaves. But is there fruit? Is there fruit? 
You know, the question I also wrote down, I thought, for all the supposed Christianity and all the church going that still takes place, by the way, church attendance is down some, but in the South, church attendance is is pretty high compared to most other areas of the country. And for all the church attendance, for all the church activities, for all the programs, for all the Bible schools, for all the trunk or treats, for all the things that we do as a church, where is the impact on culture? Where's the influence? Where are the changed lives? Now, we, we see that. We're seeing that. Praise God, we're seeing that. Why is honesty and honor in short supply? Where are people with real integrity? You ever ask yourself that question? I ask that every time I go through a drive-thru and they mess my order up. It's like, what? I ordered one drink and one biscuit. And you, you, know, you didn't even get that right. You gave me a coffee and a hot dog. What's up? We're in a crazy world, right? So what Jesus is trying to say here is, The measurement, the measurement of if you're being effective is, where's the fruit? We have some measurements as a church family. It's part of our mission statement. It's the second part of our name, Roads. We have some questions that we ask. Are we reaching? Are we putting others first? Are we accountable to one another? Are disciples being made? Are we sending out missionaries? That is how we measure what we are doing here at Crossroads. And if those things aren't happening, then we have to stop and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're gathering a lot of people and a lot of money's coming in, but are we about what Jesus has called us to do? Are we, are we being purposeful? Because the, the point of the tree, the job of the tree... Is to produce fruit. I don't know a lot about fig trees. But if you planted an apple tree and your heart's intent was that you would go out one day and you would pick an apple off that tree and you would eat it. And that tree never produced an apple to eat. You'd kind of be like, well, what was the point of all that? All the sweat and energy of digging and planting that tree and watering that thing and fertilizing and all these years. And there's still no, what? You would go out there and slap that tree around. Cut it down, maybe. We often, I often, bemoan and complain about our nation and the direction that our country is headed. Sometimes I'll blame the politicians. Sometimes I'll blame unbelievers who control a lot of the media. But you know where the, the real fault if I can use that word, lies. Churches with the church. Non-Christian media, non-Christian politicians have no desire. It's not why they were purposely planted. They have no desire to see the world come to Christ. That's because they're not, they're not in the vineyard. They're not, he's not their owner. He is, but they don't know it. But you and I know who our owner is. We know who the vineyard keeper is. God has given us, as Jesus shares in this story, when he went to say, cut it down, thankfully the vineyard keeper comes running to him and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, sir. Let me dig around it, put in some fertilizer, come back next year, and if it's doing well, great. If it's not, then you can cut it down. Do you realize... Church family, we're in that fourth year right now. We're in what we would call the age of grace right now. 
We're in that time where Jesus is kind of on pause. He's ready to come back and take his church. And God has said, hang on just a minute. Hang on just a minute. And he's waiting to see, are we going to bear fruit? How many more people can we reach with the gospel that will bear fruit? He's upset. Perhaps. He's thinking there should have been more fruit before this time. For three years I've been coming. Three years I've been coming. The owner's given every reasonable opportunity from this parable, we assume, for the production of fruit. He really doesn't want to destroy the tree, and so he's come, and the vineyard keeper, who we could say in this parable maybe is Jesus, if the owner of the vineyard is God, the vineyard keeper is Jesus, saying, hang on just a second, sir. Hang on just a second. Folks, it reminds me of this truth, and it scares me. Very soon... Every one of us, the preacher and the non-preacher alike, are going to stand before the Lord. And God's going to look at our lives. And He's going to be what we call the fruit inspector. And He's going to see, is there any fruit? And He will determine, for those of us who have fruit, we will get to enter in. And for those of us that don't have fruit, it will not be a happy outcome. He will decide to cut down the tree. Don't forget, the first fruit we're talking about is the fruit of salvation. We're going to talk about next month as we get into the book of James, faith and works. And I know that that's a complicated thing, but here's just a real quick, I'll give you the 60-second summary of that sermon. If you know Jesus, if your heart has been changed by Jesus, there will be fruit and evidence that your heart has been changed by Jesus. You won't bear fruit, and do works to get the vineyard owner to love you. The vineyard owner already loves you. As a matter of fact, the vineyard owner gave his son for you on the cross. One day I'll stand before him, and I'll either be accepted because of the blood of Christ, or he will look at some and say there is no fruit of Jesus and his righteousness It all depends really on this matter of fruit. So my question to you and to me today is if Jesus was here and he is in spirit and was to look at your life and to look at my life, would he see any fruit? Some of you may say this morning, well, yes, I have the fruit of salvation. That's fantastic. But what other fruit has happened? There's a lot of other fruit. Paul gives a a list of fruit in Galatians chapter 5. There's peace and gentleness, faith, self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. What about you? What about me? Is there fruit coming out of your life? Because that is the evidence that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is at work in you. If you're here today and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. The only fruit I know about is fruit loops. And you're going, you're over my head. Let me simplify it for you. The first step I would say to you, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, who's the vineyard keeper, is to say, Lord, I need you. I need the fruit of salvation. And to ask Jesus to come into your life. Most of us have already made that decision. So our question is, what other fruit are we showing? Because the vineyard keeper has purposely planted us to make a difference. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. For being the vineyard keeper through your son Jesus, planting us, sometimes pruning us, 
to make us stronger, to make us bear more fruit. Lord, I thank you for planting us here in the United States of America. Sometimes, sometimes, Lord, I think I might be more grateful if I had grown up somewhere else. But I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that you have planted me at Crossroads Baptist Church. I thank you for these friends that you've planted here in this vineyard to do a job. We can't do it by ourselves. We need each other. And Lord, as we do that, you will cause the fruit to grow. These are not things that we can manufacture ourselves. They have to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that. And we recognize that as we are fertilized by your word and by fellowship and by your spirit, and as we grow and as we hear, we will produce fruit. Lord, I pray for the friends in this room that, Lord, may think that they know you, and I know many do. But I pray for each of us, including this pastor, Lord, that I would honestly ask you right now, Lord, what fruit am I bearing? This morning as you're praying right there in your seat, would you be bold and ask the Holy Spirit that question and wait for his answer? What fruit am I bearing? And if you hear, wow, I've been by a year or two years and there's not a lot of fruit. Would you just confess that to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I need by your spirit to give you the freedom to relinquish control, maybe of certain areas of my life, so that you can bear fruit. If you're here today, maybe you're visiting, we're so glad that you're here. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, the vineyard keeper, I'm, I'm, I'm the tree, but I need to make sure that I am planted in God's vineyard. Then today, I'll be standing at the front and would love to pray with you and tell you how you can do that. It's simply just confessing upon the name of the Lord, giving Him control of your life, and saying, Lord, plant me in your vineyard. Father, I pray you'd have your way during this service today. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a minute, we're going to stand and have a song of invitation, and Joey is going to lead us. And uh, I just want to encourage you to do what the Lord leads you to do today. Maybe it's to grab a seat and pray. Maybe it's to grab the hand of a family member and say, we need to go down front together and pray. Maybe it's to join uh, this church fellowship. would be great to have you. Maybe it's to come to know Jesus. Whatever God's laid on your heart to do, I'm going to ask our student teaching pastor to come up, Heath, to stand with me. And if you need to pray with somebody, we'll be here to pray with you. Would you stand as we sing our song together? We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. 
Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you, or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.